This is the last sermon in the sermon series we've entitled, United We Love. And we want to say loudly and clearly, not just through this sermon series, but it is our authentic character at Lover's Lane and has been for a long time, 75 years, that we say to this greater area, you are welcome. And we say to this greater area, you are loved. Through this series, we've said united we love, but that love is the love of Jesus. It's the love of Christ. It's not just any love. For it's only the love of Christ that can bring us together the way we are to say we love. This children's ministry today is a great snapshot, not just of what heaven will be like, but what the Lord has, um, how the Lord has moved in our congregation to make our congregation so culturally diverse in every way. We claim that welcome. You know, from Jesus offering water to the woman of the well, we preached about the woman at the well not long ago, to the Ethiopian eunuch becoming the first African convert, and, and, and Philip leading him to faith. Christianity has been a, a big statement of, of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, and the grace God has is for all. And we looked at the Gentiles last week and Cornelius and how, how Peter saw the vision and how, how God led him to see these Gentiles who weren't Jews, who weren't of the same faith and how they came to faith and the Holy Spirit baptized them. And Peter said, what's to prevent me from baptizing them? If God's already said yes, i got to say yes. And today we're going to talk about another dream. This is the dream or the vision that Paul had that God gave him. And we're going to talk about the story of Lydia, the seller of purple, the first European con convert on European soil. So this is the last big statement we're going to make from God's holy word about the picture, the snapshot of the church being a church, as Jesus said, in Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, and throughout the world. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. I'd invite you now to turn with me to Acts, the 16th chapter. And we're going to begin reading with the 7th verse. So turn with me to Acts 16, if you will. And will you stand with me for the reading of God's word? And I want to just say a word. We're, we're trying to put everything that is... Um, that we read nearly everything and especially the hymns on the screens and let me tell you why because some people can't see this very well and they can't see the hymnal very well and we've been told by several of you when it's illumined on the screen you can see it perfectly so I told y'all these screens were a good idea well let's go to the Bible Well, let's back up to verse 6 just to prove I can say these harder words. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come opposite Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and during the night Paul had a vision 
There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. Let me just say a word right here. The writer of Acts is Luke. And as you notice, he's talking, you know, we did this and we did that. In the beginning of Acts, when it focuses more on Peter, it's more third person. They, they, they. But now the author's right in the middle of this journey of Paul and Silas. And you can see here some of the places that uh, we have outlined here where they were going. Uh, They were going to Asia, right? Bithynia. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit sent them to Macedonia. So they crossed over at Troas and went from Troas across the Mediterranean there to Philippi which was a great commerce trade route. So we instead set sail for Troas and we took a straight course to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who had gathered there. And a certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us, and she was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly, to what was said by Paul, and then she and her household were baptized. She urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my house, my home. And she prevailed upon us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As I said earlier, Lydia is often... um, Uplifted not only as the seller of purple that we uh, most of us know this character of the Bible as, but she's the first European convert. She was a native of uh, the city of Thyatira, which was in Asia Minor. It was in Turkey, what's present-day Turkey. But Lydia was a wealthy businesswoman who sold costly purple cloth that would turn me down just a little bit. that sold costly purple cloth and would be worn by dignitaries, kings, and also the aristocracy. She was a wealthy merchant woman. Lydia lived in Philippi, which was this great town of commerce where it was the the meeting of the east and the west right there in Philippi. It was a Greco-Roman city. Philippi was a great trade city and was named after Alexander the Great's father, Philip. That was in keeping with the Roman conquest of a Roman stronghold to name the city after one of the leaders or emperors. 
And it literally was known as a place that separated east and west. And the city was where Lydia called home and also the household of her children. And under that household were not only her family members, but her servants. And probably even her employees. In Philippi, the worship choice was to worship in the temple of Apollos. And Lydia, however, close uh, chose to worship with a small band of Jewish outcast women. She was not a Jew, but she found worship with these women of faith spiritually nourishing to her. In order for a city to have a synagogue, there had to be 10 Jewish men. They didn't count the women. And, and there were not 10 Jewish men in Philippi, enough to form a synagogue. And so the Jewish women who were in that area, they gathered and they worshipped by the water. And Paul and Silas knew if you couldn't find Jews in the city, you went to a place of running water where you might find God-fearers at least. And there he found Lydia and the women. The Jewish population was not only small, but we need to note it was marginalized. This is important. Lydia, though having a thriving business and being a, probably a very wealthy woman, she chose not to worship in uh, Apollos in the city. She chose to work with the marginalized Jewish women in a tradition that she did not hold because she identified with the poor. You know, before we learn from this woman, Lydia, I want to look first at the Apostle Paul, okay? Paul was being led and stopped by the Holy Spirit. As he and his companions were going into uh, Bithynia, uh, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go. The Spirit of Jesus instead gave Paul a vision of a Macedonian man who was simply saying, help us. And acting on that vision, they changed their direction. God gave the vision and God redirected them. Instead of going to Asia, they were heading to Europe, to Macedonia, to Philippi. Have you ever sensed God leading you in a direction and closing some doors and opening others? Have you? Have you ever been at a time where you've been at a real crossroads and all of a sudden uh, you, you got very clear that, that God wanted you to go in another direction? Have you? Well, I'm going to share a little bit of, of, of my thinking about my life story with you, some of which you've heard before. But, but I want to try to put it together in a way to point to how I see the hand of God moving through my story. And I hope in doing so, you'll think in terms of your story, of those crucial moments when God has redirected your life. And, and know that there's probably more redirections to come. Some of you may be sitting here and you're in the midst of a decision right now about what you should do, about the future, where you're to go. 
and you've been praying about it, but you hadn't got that clear direction. Maybe today is the day. You know, I remember when I got out of seminary, I wanted to be the pastor of an inner city church. I, I mean, I wasn't going to stay long uh, because I was going to do my Ph.D. in, in Washington, D.C. at the American University. I already had the plans, already had the scholarship. And, and I was scheduled to start in the, in the uh, spring uh, or winter, actually, of, two, of, ni- of 1987. And here I was, I called my DS and I said, well, I'm going to be coming home. Tammy, the wise one in the family, said, you know, most everybody goes to Perkins to seminary in Dallas and we went to Kansas City. If you don't go home first, they're going to forget you. So we went home. I told the DS, want that inner city church, it doesn't matter what the pay is, I'll take minimum uh, salary, but I'm only going to be there for two years, so if you could give me an inner city church, it'd be great. And I was appointed to the inner city of Henderson, Texas. <laughs> right in the city, in the middle of the city. We had 8,000 population in Henderson, in Russ County, one of the most conservative counties in the whole country, I think. And, and there we were, you know, from inner city to... God apparently redirected the plans, or at least the DS did. We were there for two years, had a, had a baby, had a, had a dog that had a litter of puppies. And I got leukemia and a terminal diagnosis. Now, I certainly don't believe that God caused me to get leukemia and redirect my plans. You need to hear that clearly. God doesn't work like that. But sometimes when things, circumstances, even challenging and, 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 and bad, even life-threatening circumstances come into our lives, it's amazing how we see God in the midst of that offering us grace. God helped me to see a new direction for me, opened a door in Houston. I became a pastor at First Methodist Church in Houston, and I was treated at MD Anderson Hospital. And You know, there, everything was still very fuzzy when we made those decisions, but I'm going to tell you, in, in hindsight, I look back at that redirection, and going to Houston saved my life. So there we were in Houston. We were very involved in the most exciting Church projects I've ever been involved in. I worked on my doctorate project about being a church that was in two locations and everything was great. And uh, toward uh, the fifth year, I got asked to start small groups. We had 150 small groups. We were going to start a new church on the far west side of town, 14 miles from the inner city downtown where our first campus was. And we were all ready to do so. Everything was, was going great. We started a church in a hotel. And we were having over 600 people in worship in that hotel. Tammy was the children's director at both campuses. I mean, life couldn't be better. I went in to see my DS, and for the first time in my life, I said to a DS, whatever you do, don't move me. I've never said that before. I said, this is the year I can't just say, wherever you want to send me, I'll go. I'm going to say, I can't go this year. There's too much happening. And then a couple of weeks later, I get a call from the DS. He said, guess what? We're moving you to Tyler. I said, what? I told you I couldn't move this year. We've got all of this. And I started going on and on. He said, the cabinet's already voted. You're going to Tyler. 
And if you're not going to Tyler, you've got to meet with the bishop in the morning at 8.30. So Tammy and I talked about it, and we prayed. And I said, Tammy, what do you think we should do? And she said, what do you think you should do? So to Tyler, we went. And we loved Tyler. Even though I didn't want to go there and I wept, we loved Tyler. We were there in Tyler and, and we were able to enter a building project. And the time that we were there, the church grew. I mean, it, 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 it uh, nearly doubled in size. It, it was a time when we did a lot of building. Every inch of that campus was either built new or renovated. And it was go, go, go. And we were very close, just 12 miles away from our, our family. And things couldn't be better. And then all of a sudden, I get a call from a bishop in Dallas named Bill Oden. He said, Stan, I'm Bill Oden, the bishop in Dallas, Texas, and I've asked your bishop, Bishop Hearn, if I could call you, and I'd like for you to, um, to consider talking to me about a church in Dallas called Lover's Lane. Do you know anything about Lover's Lane, United Methodist Church in Dallas? I thought, and I said, well... I think they have a lot of singles and a lot of alcoholics. <laughs> That's all I knew. And he said, well, they are known for their singles ministry, and they've been in a recovery ministry for a long time. And, and, but he said, would you come to Dallas and talk to me? I remember saying, God, I don't want to go to Dallas. I don't want to go to Dallas. I don't want to leave the my Texas conference. But I came to Dallas and I talked to the bishop and he talked to me about Lover's Lane and, and I knew I didn't want to come to Lover's Lane after that visit. <laughs> I was driving home and I was envisioning this letter in my head. I got home, I wrote a bishop, a six-page letter. Whoa. All the reasons that I wasn't the fit and everything I thought Lover's Lane might need to work on from that conversation. He calls back a few days later. He said, Stan, I've, I've taken your letter and I've given your letter to the staff parish of Lover's Lane. I said, you did what? He said, I gave your letter to the staff parish. And he, he, he said, they want to meet with you. I said, Bishop, I'm not going to Lover's Lane. But, but if it would be helpful, I'll meet with them and we'll talk about the letter. And I'll, I'll just speak to them face to face about the things I think they're going to have to do at this point in time. So I drove to Dallas again, and I met with um, the Staff Parish Relations Committee. Dan Strother was the chairman. He was close to my age, so that was pretty cool. And, and I went home, and I, I, I wasn't coming to Lover's Lane. I wrote the bishop, said, you know, it was a really great visit. I think they heard the things I wanted to say, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to Lover's Lane. And a few days later, I get another call from Bishop Bowden. He said, Stan, you, you know... Um, there's a group of leaders at Lover's Lane, not just the staff parish, but uh, I've shared your letter with them, and they'd kind of like to talk to you. It was at Sandra Estes' house, just right over here. And I met there, and there's a house full of young leaders and leaders who've been here forever. And, uh, you know, it was a wonderful conversation. And I went home and called the bishop and said, Bishop, that was a really great meeting, but, I, you know, thanks, but I'm not coming to Lover's Lane. 
he said, I, I know that some members have moved and, um, you know, it'd be interesting maybe to, if y'all had a meeting with some of those members. And a few days later, he called and said, Stan, I've arranged for you to meet with a member, a family that's, that's not at the church anymore. So we came back to Dallas and driving home, Tammy and I talked about it. At that time, you know, there was a big church in Houston, and we were talking. Bishop was talking to us about that church, about Lover's Lane. I didn't know what. And, and you start feeling the Holy Spirit redirecting your life and saying, you may have plans of where you think you should pitch your tent for the rest of your life in a particular area, but I need you to go help there. So what are you to do? And we came to Dallas. And it's been one of the greatest decisions of our life, being with you. And when the Holy Spirit starts moving us in a direction that God wants us to go, and you know that it's the Holy Spirit, you just move because God doesn't want for us anything except the best. We're his children. Sometimes it's not the best that we would, uh, we would have chosen. It's not the route that we thought we could see clearly, but it's a route that God has shown us. And by faith, we take the step. That's where Paul and Silas were, about to go into Asia, but no, to Macedonia. And I don't know how this relates to your life in reflection or maybe your life in thinking forward. But God is the one who directs us. And, and if we allow God to speak to us in the decisions that we make, God's plans are always better than your plans or mine. You know, sometimes God surprises us and he redirects us and it's not exactly what we envisioned. I want to remind us about the scripture again. Remember, Paul was, uh, had received this dream or this vision of this man beckoning him for help, remember? And I can just imagine Paul saying when he got to that riverside and he saw Lydia and all those Jewish women and he said, God, I thought you said it was a Macedonian man who needed help. This is a bunch of women. And, and this was in a culture, you need, to get, you need to really understand this. This is in a culture where Jewish men, they, they, they didn't talk to women. And you surely didn't talk to Gentile women like Lydia. And here Paul and Silas stood on the banks of the river observing the worship of Lydia and, and those Jewish women. And they were moved, and they, 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 they realized that, that, that God's no literalist, that when God says there's a, a vision of a man who needs help in Macedonia, it doesn't have to be a man, it can be a woman. And, and so there they were, and they were so moved by the, the, the faithful worship that they had, that Paul shared the gospel with them of Jesus Christ. And Lydia, who was so spiritually hungry, here this woman, this, this, this merchant, this wealthy woman was worshiping with poor Jewish women. And, and, and you, you could sense her hunger. And when she heard the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, she surrendered all. 
She said, here I am. Not just me, but my whole household, which meant her, her, her babies, her children, which meant her, her servants, her, her employees. We, we're all going to be baptized in the Christian faith. And the, and the church at Philippi was born. You know, we talked just a, a, a few days ago about, about how uh, the centurion... How, how the centurion was praying and because of the centurion's diligence in prayer and because of the centurion's giving of alms, his generosity, that God gave him that vision and, and he came to Christ at the preaching of Peter. Now, now here's Lydia who's worshiping with these poor Jewish women and, and God sees her in the same way. And it's Paul who responds to her with the gospel and baptizes her and everyone in her household. The scripture that we just read said, The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul, and then she and her household were baptized. The seed of the word fell into her heart, and as it was unprepared, it was prepared ground, and she, she just gave her heart to Christ. This resulted in a new birth. This resulted in Lydia... Uh, finding that missing link in her life. This resulted in her putting the dots together from uh, the Jewish faith that the women were worshiping in to what it meant to worship Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, the Messiah. She did not become a nun. She didn't become a church professional. She remained in her occupation. She probably continued to prosper in every way. She brought credit to her name by submitting herself, her business, her possessions to the maximum. She gave it all. She surrendered all. You know, of all the letters Paul writes to the churches in, in, in the New Testament, all of the letters, there's only one church that he writes to that he has not one word of, uh, of, of, of stern uh, message for them or correction for them. And it's the beloved church of Philippi, his joy. Why is it his joy? Because there are people like Lydia there and like those women by the stream who got all in. Their eyes and ears uh, became uh, part of what they gave to God so that they could listen and see the needs of others. You know, our hands, our feet, uh, we, we, we turn over to God so that we can respond to the needs of others. Our ambitions, our possessions, our politics, our personalities all become the testimony that we turn over to God to shape, mold, and make. All are God's, and when we truly give our hearts to God, everything follows, and in turn, we receive a gift of life like we've never received before. And, and also, I think that we see that Lydia gave her Christian hospitality as a gift as well. The, the scripture that uh, we just read in the, the 15th verse of that chapter, Lydia urged us saying, if you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed on us. 
Now, we need to hear how significant that is. You know, Paul's not just a television evangelist wandering through by the river and he preaches the word and they come to faith. He baptizes them and heads off to Philippi. She said, if, if, if you found me faithful to the Lord, I, a Gentile woman, a European Gentile woman, will you, a Jewish man, proclaimer of the gospel, Christian evangelist, will you stay at my house with my household? It's a big decision for Paul to make. And yet he sees the intent of her faith. You know, the, the churches in that day, they, they, didn't, they didn't even have a synagogue in Philippi, right? Where did the churches meet? They met in the homes. And no doubt this was the, the, the beginning, the first church in Europe was there in the house of Lydia. You know, we trace, we of European background, perhaps we can trace all of our um, Christian faith to that experience of Lydia in, in that house that she lived in. Most all of the big Christian movements throughout the centuries have happened in, in house churches, in homes. Most of the big movements I've experienced in churches have happened in homes. Now, I want to ask you a question. How are you using your home to glorify God? You know, a home is, is just a place, right? But, but a, it's a place that we can use for God. Tammy and I have been extremely blessed in our home in the past year and a half by inviting members of this church, groups of this church, the African fellowships, the, uh, the deaf ministry, uh, uh, and, and other groups to come into our home where we could share in Christian fellowship. That's what Lydia wanted. She wanted to declare her place. She wanted Paul to recognize her place as the place that God would bless, her home that she wanted to use in ministry. You think about that, how God may want to use your home to form a, a group of six or eight people just for a dinner and just talk about the, this church perhaps and how God's using this church and our outreach and just a visit in Christian fellowship. Who knows? We may have some of those groups just springing up. Now, finally, Lydia gave her witness of faith to others. Now, the 16th chapter is a, a big, important chapter because when Paul and Silas go up on the hill, they get in trouble and they get thrown in jail. And then there's a big earthquake. You remember the story and and their chains are loosened and all of the prisoners are about to escape and the jailer is about to kill himself and he said what must I do to be saved and Paul presents the gospel of Jesus Christ to him he just wanted to know why what he had to do not to kill himself in other words why don't y'all go back inside and I'll just lock the door and thank you very much and his whole household was baptized so in that context, the 40th verse of this chapter says, After leaving the prison, they, Paul and Silas, went back to Lydia's home. And when they had seen and encouraged the brothers and the sisters there, they departed. Lydia opened her arms to be invitational to others, so that they would receive Jesus Christ as Lord. 
And the first act she performed as a Christian was to arrange for Paul and Silas to present the gospel to her beloved household. Her family, her servants, everybody was baptized. And she had a witness of what had happened in her life and in the lives of those she loved that she told everybody. And the great church at Philippi was born. You know, we can be witnesses to our faith. And our first obligation, just like Lydia, is to go to our household. It's our children. It's our grandchildren who become people that we want to make sure we're sharing our faith with. In whatever way God leads you to do that. It's our workplace. Lydia, no doubt, in her household, perhaps most all of those Jewish women, they worked for Lydia. She was a testimony to those with whom she worked. We're also called to be a Christian witness where we work. How we uplift Christ in our workplaces is very important. And we also are called to share faith with friends in need. It's important for us to understand that Christianity is meant to be contagious. And when we share our faith, we share it by listening to the needs of others. Not by just going in there and blasting them with the gospel. We listen to the needs of others. And we respond to those needs, whatever they may be. Not with our own agenda, but with the, the, the agenda that, that those needs bring out, brings out. And we testify to how Jesus Christ brings life to our souls. How can you be a witness? You know, Paul loved the Philippian church because they were such a generous Christ family. And Lydia was no doubt chief among them. Some years later, Paul wrote the Philippian church from the Roman prison where he would lose his life to an execution. You know who he mentioned? He mentioned the women who worked hard, he said, with him to help me spread the gospel. Some scholars believe that much of the funding that Paul received for his missionary journeys came right out of that church in Philippi. And much of it could have very well come right out of the purse of Lydia, the seller of purple. The one who surrendered all and got all in for the sake of Jesus. Amen.